this is a beginning point. This is the beginning of the rest of my life. I got the meaning, and I got to write it down, because I don't want to forget it. Just win, baby. All right, and welcome back to the Gold Jacket Podcast with me, your host, Gymnastic, and as always, my co-host, Connor Donald. Connor, man, how you been? I've been great. Happy belated Father's Day to you, and uh, I know we took a week off last week to, to enjoy your you to enjoy your Father's Day, and I think it was your wife's birthday, and for me to enjoy my last father's day not being called dad or being a father so it's pretty exciting times yeah man uh, it was uh it was pretty busy it's the wife's birthday on uh on the 20th and then you know obviously father's day on the 21st i went golfing hit a few balls didn't do too good but uh <laughs> you know it's a hobby do. man it's just a hobby i'm, I'm the same way i i golf and i my golf score is shit, man. I will. I have no shame. I shoot like 115, 120. It depends on how hard the course is and how hot the course is that day. So, I mean, I just go out there and I have fun with it. With that, um, we're going to be talking about a division that's near and dear to my heart. Uh, and you have a little bit of thoughts on it, judging by some Twitter Twitter tweaks that I've seen, seen on the seen on a subject on one QB in this division. We're talking about the AFC West, and I'm pretty pumped, pretty pumped as a KC fan to mm-hmm. uh, to jump right into it. Yeah, I can't wait. I, I I like this division. I kind of feel like I have some some kind of heart in the division too because of Andy Reid and being an Eagles fan. You know, after last season getting to watch Andy Reid win the Super Bowl and stuff, and you wish he was with the Eagles, but you still felt there. You felt for Big Red in that moment. So I feel like my heart's kind of in here too. And you know what? It's in looking at it a little bit, it's actually a super intriguing division. Not a great fantasy division, but a really intriguing one because each divi- each position is is kind of close in 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 a way. So this is uh, I'm I'm excited to break this down. Yeah, it's definitely close in a way, except for the records where. The Chargers are always going to be the laughing stock of that division, I think. I'm sorry, because they never win a division game. But uh, that's besides fantasy. <laughs> so let's jump into this and start off with everybody's favorite position. We're going with the running backs, because who doesn't like a flashy new, flash-in-the-pan running back? And, uh, Connor, how do you got these running backs rated? Yeah, so I think this is probably one of the, if not the toughest position for me to choose. Um, for me, I, at first I went with Denver. Um, Melvin Gordon and Philip Lindsay just feels like, you know, the poor man's combination of Melvin Gordon and Austin Eckler last year. Um, they The Denver Broncos ranked 14th in run plays per game. But based on the draft and the Jerry Judy, KJ Hamler additions, it feels like they could be moving to more of a pass-first offense, and how will that impact a Melvin Gordon and a Philip Lindsay? 
that remains to be seen this year. Um, Melvin Gordon's been top 10 in touchdowns the last two seasons, so I feel like he's very reliant on the touchdowns from a fan for to remain very fantasy relevant. Um, and like I said, moving to more of a pass-first offense will make things really interesting as far as uh, Melvin Gordon goes. He did rank top 15 in targets, receptions, and receiving yards. So if they do move to pass first, he actually, when I dug into these two running backs, he actually ended up being the, he's a far, far more superior receiving back than Philip Lindsay, which actually kind of surprised me because I thought Lindsay was a better receiving back, but he really is not that good of a receiving back. Um, there, of course, are the health concerns with Melvin Gordon and Philip Lindsay from last year. He had some issues there. Um, but like I was kind of alluding to, Lindsay's a pretty average fantasy asset when you look at some of the advanced metrics. Um, and he never really had much competition in regards to Royce Freeman as being the only competition. So I think we could see a lot based on his ADP and stuff for Philip Lindsay. We could see a big chunk of work taken away from him by Melvin Gordon is Melvin Gordon got that you know that RB1 cheap end RB1 money but nonetheless RB1 money um, but I think that this backfield does have the potential to look a lot like Eckler and Gordon from 2019 but pretty much a poor man's version um, but Locke and how the offense will run I think is the biggest question mark uh, for that backfield um, number two for me is Casey um, if, Clyde Edwards Alaire, man, I, I've been I've been at the front of that train. I have been just yelling out his name on Twitter all the all off season up until the draft and then where he landed and everything. Um everyone was like, nah, DeAndre Swift or Jonathan Taylor or whatever, and then suddenly he landed in KC and suddenly the tables and the tides turned pretty quick. Um Damian Williams can finally be what he was always meant to be. Sorry, Damian Williams truthers, but an RB2. Um, he, he does. Damian Williams did have some great production premium, and it was thanks in large part to some a lot of red zone work and touchdowns with seven of them. But I think he could suffer some major touchdown regression with the arrival of Clyde Edwards-Alaire. Um, Clyde Edwards-Alaire was compared to Brian Westbrook by Andy Reid, which is some humongous shoes to fill. Um, so it's the, uh, he's, it's pretty much his running back opportunity to own and his backfield to own this year. And I know there's a lot of people who I saw right off the bat, some people were saying, oh, well, maybe, maybe they're not going to start Clyde Edwards right out of the gate, please. You don't waste the 32nd pick in the draft, a first round pick in the draft on someone you're going to sit on the bench or name your RB2. Just ain't happening. Just ain't happening. So, I mean, Clyde Edwards, he brings it all and was drafted to be an RB1 in a high octane offense. And he is a he's a high octane player. He's going to be a good player. And I think he's going to become a very good friend and partner in crime for Patty Mahomes. Um the Chiefs running backs have actually quietly averaged 26 points per game over the last two seasons with a mix of Damian Williams and LaShawn McCoy. So I am really excited to see what Clyde Edwards-Alaire brings to this. He's got golden opportunity. The egg has been laid. It's time for him to take it and run with it in KC. Uh, three for me, and it's it pains me to do this, but uh, it's Oakland. Josh Jacobs, he, he emerged as the RB1 from the draft class last season. He finished his ERB 21, but he did miss three games with a shoulder fracture and played much of the year with that shoulder fracture. 
Um, I think there's a ton of opportunities still for Josh Jacobs in Oakland, number 23, and he ranked among running backs 23rd in snap share and 15th in opportunity share. So there's definitely a lot more space, and there is a monster of an opportunity that Coach Gruden has kind of alluded to throughout this offseason, and that is Josh Jacobs in the passing game. He averaged two targets per game in 13 yards last season, yet he was number nine in yards created and eight innovated tackles. So imagine what you can do with a guy who was number nine in creating his own yards and number eight in evading tackles when you put him more into the passing game. Um, I think he can definitely, He it's a huge opportunity, and he can definitely exploit the receiving game um, for Derek Carr underneath because, as we, alluded, as we talked about earlier, he loves the yards after the catch and the short throws and the safe throws. Derek Carr does so Jalen Richard was the main receiving back last year and he'll likely become practically irrelevant as Josh Jacobs becomes the clear RB1 and the it seems more than likely that they just want him to be the workhorse in Oakland and they'll just have a back or two behind him just in case um and then last for me is the Chargers which is actually kind of crazy to think based on Austin Eckler um but Chargers there's a humongous question mark hanging over the LA Chargers. And what are the Chargers going to be? Who? What type of offense are they going to play? What type of system are they going to have? Who's going to be the quarterback? I mean, the Char- I think Chargers running backs definitely um, got a lot of help from the fact that they were targeted the most last season, 31.7% of the time among running backs. That's 182 targets total. And like I kind of said, new QB, new system could lead to a lot of change, which kind of creates in with this focus on moving to more of a pass heavy game in the NFL. It kind of creates some concern for me in that backfield. Um, They rank 28th in run plays per game, which is a big dot, dot, dot for me as well, because it means the running backs are kind of irrelevant if they're not being passed to almost. So how much fantasy relevance will Eckler have? at all if considering how reliant he was on rivers and the targeting of running backs he averaged only eight carries yet six targets per game last season so they were almost 50 50 in that regard um he was top five in all stats involving receiving but he ranked 30th or worst in essentially every stat involving rushing so i mean he's essentially a receiver a glorified receiver um he but so his yards per carry he ranked 34th yards per target he ranked number one among running backs so pretty crazy to think about from an Austin Eckler standpoint and then Justin Jackson and uh, Kelly will play the role of running back quote unquote running back while Eckler will be the change of pace guy it's going to be really interesting to see what happens uh, with uh, Lynn there and what system he chooses what quarterback he chooses and what ultimately happens with these running backs. Well, I got to tell you, after a week off, Connor, it has been definitely a pleasure to hear your voice. And especially since, like, honest to God, hit exactly on the head the exact order of my running backs that I have ranked them in. So there's not going to be too much debate in here at all. Just a couple that I had was, uh, yeah, I do. I do have Denver as as the one-two because I do see him as the best one-two punch. You did touch on it. It is a misconception that Philip Lindsay is a better pass catcher than he really is. I do have Kansas City as number two because of the best offensive scheme. Where I do dis- 
disagree with you a little bit is uh the fact where you say you think that Kansas City wouldn't waste the 32 pick on Clyde Everett-Hilaire to let him ride the bench, where I think they uh, will actually ease him in, still use uh, Damian Williams a little bit, and uh, the fact of the matter is that they do have that fifth-year option, so it is like they did. Without, they could they could afford to ease him in in the first year, get him to really learn the system, and then fully unleash him in, the, in year two, three, four. And five, and still be like he, uh, still be like he. They took him in the second round. Mm. I have lost. Interesting. Right, you know what I mean? Like, I never thought of it in that way, but yeah, I mean, I guess you can think of it in that way when you consider the lifespan of a running back. Any opportunity that you can get to ease a running back in, and then really full on immerse him as your RB1 for those next four years. And then if you re-sign him, you re-sign him. If you don't re-sign him, you don't re-sign him. But you got four years out of him kind of thing. I never thought about that in regards to the fifth-year option. But the fifth-year option does make a big difference, especially at the running back position. Yeah, that's that's just where I think they were playing chess while they were uh, playing checkers, right? Where, they, like I said, they can get him in. They can definitely give him the touches in year one. But I, I do think it's going to be more of a, a need in situation and then they do use that fifth year option on them. uh like i said because of the lifespan on the running back like you touched on there you can definitely it's definitely um a, i i think a pretty big advantage considering the lifespan and on this running back is probably only going to be one one contract like i'm not looking to probably i'm not looking like i have any any pull in any organization over here <laughs> i wouldn't be looking to uh <laughs> i wouldn't be looking to re-sign a running back at any any real point in uh in in year two as as we are in contract phase number two because as we've touched on before when we touched on the NFC South uh with with Todd Gurley there and how the LA Rams were kind of for a little bit there holding the bag on, on his contract didn't really pay out and then we touched on a few other running backs that it hasn't really paid out on but uh, that's that and then by default or sorry <laughs> number three for me was was the Las Vegas Raiders. I was off Josh Jacobs as a rookie, but uh, I really like Lynn Bowden. And the fact of the matter is, I know he's going to be used all over the all over the field, but year one, the, the Raiders are using him at, um, as a running back. They're just a little bit ahead of me of the LA Chargers, and I know that's kind of crazy, but like I'm not really sold on Austin Eckler uh, post Phillip Rivers and uh, the checkdowns. Uh, you did allude to you don't really know what kind of offensive system Anthony Lynn's going to run, and I do have a feeling that it's going to be a little bit more running back involved just because he is a former running back, and I do think the quarterback is going to be Tyrod Taylor. Anthony Lynn does have a history with him, and uh, mm-hmm. if if Tyrod can at least float the ship accordingly, and I don't even really know. like Maybe, again, they... Uh, they they tank for for another good draft pick, right? Like I'm not 100 percent sure what they're gonna do. Like maybe they're maybe they're content with with a higher draft pick if Tyrod is is not really the answer. And I don't even really think was Tyrod really that bad when last year when he was in Cleveland before he got hurt. I didn't actually look at his numbers, but like, no, he, his, num- like he his numbers aren't terrible, but he he's really I, I find him to be a pretty conservative quarterback as well. So, I mean, at the end of the day, like it, it probably could really bode well for a guy like Austin Eckler to stick with Ta- Taylor over like Herbert. If you get him involved, 
then well we see we've seen the arm on that guy. That man will probably make Mike make those Mike Williams truthers fall in love because he will probably bomb that ball downfield to him. But um, Tyrod Taylor, I mean, like even the time, even his time in Buffalo with the Bills and stuff, like he he had his running backs involved quite a bit, and he was kind of a conservative guy. He didn't really have many thousand yard receivers or a whole lot of really significant receivers. Um, in his time in, in Buffalo, those couple of years that he was a starter there. So, I mean, he, he's not as bad as some people would have you believe. But, I mean, it bodes he's, well for an Austin Eckler if he starts. Yes, he's real good. Like, um, he's real life football good. You know what I mean? Like, he won't – he's not He's not putting a team on his back, though, and carrying it. But he's not really making the stupid decisions and, like – I really feel losing you a game. I really think he's like um, like a, a Walmart version of Alex Smith. Mm. But you know what I mean? Like he does do the checkdowns a little bit. He does understand the game. Like he knows what he can do well. Mm-hmm. He doesn't try to play outside of that. You know what I mean? I don't know. But that that's just me. So like that's that's all I have him ranked um, with the one, two, three, four, just like just like yourself. So. Uh, I enjoyed that first first position group back, and uh, there was no real disagreements there. Went right through it, one through four. I loved it. Let's uh, keep it rolling and hope hope we unanimously agree on our wide receiver <laughs> wide receiver grouping. <laughs> Let's do it. All right, man. Um, I guess uh, you know what? I want to take the lead on this just because uh, I, number one, I do have my boys there at the Kansas City Chiefs because. I do have Tyreek Hill as the number one dynasty wide receiver. And uh, when I said that, um, when I was talking with Dustin and Jake on a, on a, on their podcast, drinking and talking fantasy football, um, he, he said it was kind of a hot take and I really didn't really didn't see why. And uh, he said, well, you know, everybody has, has MT as their, usually as their dynasty wide receiver one. And all I said was when I look at dynasty, and I'm actually intrigued to ask you, Connor, when I look at Dynasty, um, I'm looking at a three-year window when it comes to, a di- I don't know how big of your window is when you're looking at Dynasty, but I do look at it as a three-year window. And over the next three years, I, I personally see Tyreek Hill scoring more fantasy points than, than Michael Thomas. Um, I just actually really wanted to quickly get your thoughts on that, on which one you see in the next three years scoring more fantasy points, Michael Thomas or Tyreek Hill. You know, I'm I'm actually big on Tyreek Hill too. So I mean, I guess me and you may have some favoritism here, but I do look three to five years out. I mean, I think it really depends on the position. Um, but for me, the big thing there, and I know they just got Jameis Winston and stuff, and and he's gonna groom behind Drew Brees. But that's the big question mark: Who's the QB after Drew Brees for Mike Thomas? Can he continue to be relevant? Can the guy hit? Can this quarterback hit him on? 100 slants a year so that's the big question mark uh for me around mike thomas there's no question about where's tyree kill gonna be in three years where's patty mahomes gonna be in three years they're gonna be patty mahomes is gonna be throwing the ball to tyree kill and tyree kill is gonna be running 100 miles an hour down the sideline and getting touchdowns in kansas city and there was no doubt in my mind about that three years out even five years out 
up until five years out, Tyreek Hill will be 31 years old. And I still see him running laps around AFC West opponents. So, I mean, I'm on board with you. I mean, if you look at the window, even like a one-year window at this point, there's a big question mark in New Orleans on when's Drew Brees going to retire and who's going to be the one to step in in his place. So, I mean, personally, I don't actually find it to be that hard of a take. Um, maybe it's because I'm high on Tyreek Hill as well, but I just like I like to look the same thing as you. I like to look at the window and how long before people kind of figure out that out of the 180 targets, 90 of them were slants. How do we defend that slant from Mike Thomas and stuff? It, whereas Tyreek Hill, it's speed, 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 speed. And now you got Michael Hardman on the other side. Speed, speed, speed. You can't keep up with everybody. Whereas you can kind of work your defense around those types of situations, which might make Mike Thomas have to really adjust his game, too. Um, So, I mean, I I think I agree with you. I'm on board with the Tyreek Hill take there because I really do think he's a wide receiver one for Dynasty over the next three to five years. Perfect. And that's exactly, like I said, he's my my Dynasty number wide receiver one. And then you touched on it a little bit there was the wide receiver two is Miko Hardman, who I think um, in the next three to five years could be a wide receiver one on any other team or not any other team, but a lot of other teams. And then you have um, like Demarcus Robinson, Sammy Watkins, Travis Kelsey. Like you, you have a, you have a lot of weapons there. I know I just said Travis Kelsey is a tight end. I know that um, for the people listening, all, all <laughs> 30 of you, <laughs> but um yeah, like there's just there's just too many weapons. And then um, <clears throat> second, I have I have the L.A. Chargers, and that's because um, there's there's been a lot of disrespect in in the fantasy community for about Keenan Allen, but the fact mm-hmm. of the matter is he is a he is a he is a wide receiver one, no matter which way you look at it. Uh, and a pretty and you know what, even if he does become a wide receiver two, and this guy ends up taking over as the wide receiver one, is if Justin Herbert becomes the uh, becomes the heir apparent there. That's Mike Williams because those guys those guys look like they'd sync up pretty nice, but mm-hmm. even still, like there's a lot of disrespect on Keenan Allen. Uh, his ADP is fucking really weak, to be honest with you. And his June ADP, it was four six. You can get him at four oh six in startup drafts. Um, behind and um. Portland Sutton, C.D. Lamb, Jerry Judy. Uh, yeah, a few guys that you shouldn't be getting him behind anyway. A couple guys that have never done anything. Um, mm-hmm. just, in, just in that division, right? Like, I would take him over. I know there are a couple weeks where he's going to go missing. So, like, he's probably a better best ball fit, like I talked about with Amari Cooper. But um, he's actually a little better than that. Number three, I have um, Denver, and that's because uh, I do think Sutton is an alpha. Um, he's he's a dog, man. Um, he's shown to to play with two completely different styles of quarterbacks when it comes to um, the shell that was Joe Flacco and what I like to call the real Josh Allen, Drew Locke, <laughs> because that that guy. That guy is what people wish Josh Allen was is gonna be. It's it's gonna be Drew Locke, man. I love that kid. Um, and then they got Jerry Judy, 
And then they got KJ Hamler, man, which is like mm-hmm. another underrated fantasy asset. And I'm telling you right now, if you guys are still listening to me talk and your drafts haven't happened or you got waiver wires happening, like go pick up KJ Hamler right now. Um, if you have a taxi squad, stash him on there. Uh, don't expect, you know, I'm not expecting big things in 2020, but there is the possibility, man. And if he pops, his price is going to go up. So, mm-hmm. I mean, like he, he's a good, he's a good taxi squad guy to be, to, uh, to be having. And no, nobody seems to be really talking about him. Then we have at four, the Las Vegas Raiders. And, uh, it's really just because, and, um, we could talk about Lim Bowden a little bit uh, more, even though he's a, he's a running back in year one. He is going to be deployed as a, as a wide receiver as well. Fuck, he's probably going to end up uh, becoming the backup quarterback at one point um, for Marcus Mariota. Oh, uh, <laughs> um, take your after shots. That, <laughs> but uh, after that, it's 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 really uh, it's really a who who is it, right? It's like um, Terrell Williams. Uh, I'm not saying he's ever going to be a wide receiver one. To be honest, I really think the mm-hmm. wide receiver one there is really going to be Brian Edwards with the incredible young breakout age. But I really think it was 17.9. I don't even think it was 18. Uh, and a crazy uh, college dominator rating. Like the, the kid's unbelievable, man. Like fucking unbelievable. Uh, and he was actually taken behind Henry Ruggs and behind Lim Bowden, which another thing blows my mind. Like they grabbed Henry Ruggs. And then they grabbed Lynn Bowden, and then they selected their wide receiver one in Brian Edwards, which is fucking crazy to me. And then they have Henry, or like I said, they have Henry Ruggs. Uh, I really felt like when they drafted Henry Ruggs, I know he has a draft capital. I know he came off the first off the board. I even called it, uh, but it totally felt like a like a spirit of Al Davis pick, right? Like a speed kills. We're looking for the next Tyreek, and I don't think he's Tyreek at all. I'm not really, I'm not really gonna be throwing any shade against him. Um, I think what he does well, he does well. Um, aspects in this game, I just don't think he's a wide receiver one. I think he actually does perfectly complement Brian Edwards. But uh, until either one of these guys really take a step, you're trying to tell me that the that the true wide receiver one in this in this uh, room right now, because again, COVID is playing a big role in this. There's not going to be OTAs, I really don't think, or limited action really happening unless you're Tampa Bay Buccaneer and you're Tom Brady disregarding any and all rules. Um, there's going to be minimal workouts. So there's going to be minimal chemistry. So like to tell me two rookies that I'm really going to be counting on, like not really happening for me. Right. And that's, that's just why like, you know, KC and LA are where they are. There's, there's um well, that's why KC's where they are, but um, there's, there's chemistry with those, with those three. And uh, even a little bit with LA, like I'm, I'm telling you, man, like, I don't know, but that, that, that's how I have them ranked. KC, LA, Denver, and then the Raiders, one, two, three, and four. Hopefully, we keep it rolling and you just agree with me and put up some stats. <laughs> I'd like to say I agree with you, but I do have a minor swap at the two, three spot, but I do agree with one and four, so that's easy. Um, yeah, number one, easy Kansas City. It's a high octane offense that's going to live and thrive off Mr. 101, Patty Mahomes. Um, and if Mr. 101 is too rich for your blood, then you might as well just go grab one of his receivers. And that can be Tyreek Hill. If that's too rich, 
then you can go and grab Miko Herdman. If that's too rich, well, Sammy Watkins is down the line as well, and he gets a very generous snap share and target share year over year, even though he has almost no relevance. Um, but uh, Hill, Hill finishes a wide receiver 32 despite missing four games last season, but he was a wide receiver 11 in average. Um, so that, which was at 15.7, but he's only a year removed from being the wide receiver three and averaging 20.5 per game. So just kind of like what you said, if he didn't miss those four games, I am prepared to say that he'll probably would have been wide receiver up in, uh, probably not be Mike Thomas. It was a pretty historic year, but he could have been potentially wide receiver two or three again. But like we just kind of alluded to in Dynasty, I do agree with you in that regards. I would want him and I would want to own as many shares of him as humanly possible because I think over the next three to even five years, um, he has a ton, ton of potential to do a lot of big things for Dynasty teams and Dynasty owners. Um, and in 2019, just a couple things to know, his snap share was down 15% and his target share was down 3%. So obviously he lost a little bit because of the missed games, um, and probably due to some lingering injury effects. Um, so for me, uh, there's a lot of opportunity for Tyreek Hill, which is ridiculous to say, but there's plenty of opportunity for him next year. Um, he's got ridiculous production target premium points per target. If you look it up, it's crazy. What he does is the premium that he brings for Patty Mahomes. Um, and then he's got his friend, the speed, his speed brother in Miko Hardman. If you look up Miko Hardman, man, this guy needs to be used more because it's ridiculous. Number one in yards per reception, number one in yards per target, number three in target separation, number one in fantasy points per target, number one in QB rating when targeted. And the man was only out there for 43% of snaps and had a 7% target share. So I think the Miko Hardman really needs to be fed the ball. And I get the Tyree kills on the other side, but speed kills. And you got two speedsters on each side. You can't keep up with both of them. You're not. You just don't have the cornerbacks. You just don't have the people the manpower on defense to watch those two men go. So he has massive opportunity, and I bolded and capitalized every letter in massive opportunity there. And, I mean, Watkins is actually a nice grab late, kind of like what what I alluded to. He's going around the wide receiver 53 area. Um, he year over year sees healthy snap and target share. Um, I mean, he's a below average fantasy wide receiver, but over the last two seasons, he's averaged six targets a game and four receptions per game. So, I mean, the opportunity is there if the other two receivers are too rich for your liking. But I think Miko Hartman's going just a little bit above Sammy Watkins from a dynasty perspective. Um, but Patty Mahomes wide receivers have been top third of the league in the last two years, averaging around 36 points per game. So you can't go wrong in investing in a Patty Mahomes wide receiver. Um, number two for me was the Denver Broncos. There's nowhere to go but up for the Denver Broncos, and they loaded up at wide receiver. Broncos wide receivers ranked 30th in fantasy points at the position last season. And then insert Jerry Judy, 
and KJ Hamler. Hamler, like you said, he's kind of an underrated guy. He's someone you should be looking at. He's He is a 100% a slot option, solely a slot option. That's all he's ever going to be, but there's nothing wrong with slot options, and we're seeing the use of the slot position a lot more now, and uh, so that is definitely something to look out for. He may not be Jerry Judy. He may not be Cortland Sun, but he's definitely someone you can snag late and who may surprise you sometimes, give you some boom or bust potential. Sutton and Judy are going to be the big targets. You think Sutton's the alpha male. I think Jerry Judy's the alpha male here. But no matter what, these two are going to command attention, and these two are going to command some targets. Sutton was a wide receiver 19 in 2019. Um, He actually ranked eighth in target share. He actually had a ton of opportunity. Um, So it's kind of the wide receiver 19 based on his opportunity was a little disappointing. But I mean, once Drew Law came in, he started to really emerge and come into his own. So this will be uh, very interesting, uh, very interesting Denver wide receiving core. And I put them at two in large part to their age and the value for dynasty that comes with these guys. Um, Then I got the Chargers at uh, number three. No more rivers equals a big question mark on how the offense will be run. And that's the same question mark that pretty much follows the Chargers through every position that I'm going to talk about. Um, They actually have back-to-back seasons where they have less than 300 targets to the position, which is bottom third of the league. But the team is ranked 10th in pass plays per game, which is kind of scary when you're looking at wide receivers and them ranking bottom third of the league in targets. Um, Mike Williams luckily has had back-to-back seasons, top 10 in points per touch. So like you said, and like I was saying, a guy like Herbert could really probably unlock Mike Williams and finally give the Williams truthers what they've been waiting for. And like we kind of said, and like you kind of allude to Keenan Allen, he is, uh, he's being pretty underrated. I mean, he's going to get the ball. He commands attention. He's going to get the targets no matter who the quarterback is. Tyrod Taylor, Phillip Rivers, um, Justin Herbert, doesn't even matter. Um, but he did account for essentially near or over half of the wide receiver targets over the last two years. So he's an extremely heavy volume-based fantasy asset. So the volume has to continue to come his way. He was number five in targets, ninth in target rate, sixth in hall rate uh, last season. Um, so that's Chargers at three. Oakland, I, I, I dubbed them the great unknown at the wide receiver position. You got Ruggs, you got Bowden, you got Edwards, you got Terrell Williams, who has no business being a wide receiver one. You got Hunter Renfro. Um, who gets what role? Who commands Derek Carr or or Marcus Mariota's attention, if you really want to go there? And who really essentially emerges? Like you said, COVID is playing some some crazy things with these rookies, and they're not getting the opportunity to show themselves uh, to their coaches and their offensive coordinators, which really sucks. Um uh, but 2017 was the last season the Raiders wide receivers ranked top 10 in points, averaging over 30 points per game. Um, and Derek Carr leans a lot on yards after the catch. So it's a big opportunity for whichever wide receiver wants to step in and take the opportunity for some yards after the catch. But for me, Oakland's just too unknown. It's the, the great unknown, and I just don't know what to expect from it. But I do agree with you on the Edwards over Ruggs situation there. So that's how I got the wide receivers. Yeah, you know what? Like, I don't really fault you for for swapping the two and the three. Like you did say, like, um, 
age does play a little bit of a factor into it. And all three of those guys, like you said, if you're buying into Denver, you are buying in for at least a couple of years with LA. You don't know, um, you don't know what what Herbert really is. Like, yeah, you can throw it, but like, is he going to be out of the league in uh, like two years, like Brock mm-hmm. Osweiler, and then holding the clipboard or or what? Right? Is Keenan Allen going to keep going for? For, for how long like what, what's the chemistry like going to be like with any of these guys like so yeah i don't fault you for having them at for for swapping them at for two and three but uh and i love i love how you just dubbed it <laughs> yeah the las vegas raiders there man the great unknown for, for their wide receiver room that's the best that is the best they're being drafted they're being drafted like they're unknown but like you kind of talked about it rugs is just a speed guy and like People are saying, oh, he's the next Tyreek Hill. I, I don't think so. I think Tyreek Hill has a lot more in his game that Ruggs doesn't. Tyreek Hill has a lot more polished game, and Ruggs is just a, I mean, to me, he's just a, he's like a track star. He's that downhill Which, runner. And if you can hit him when he's running downhill, he every time he's going to blow past him on. and he can get a touchdown. But I Hill's more polished. I like, When you watch Hill, the moves, the, the way he can run a route, Man, he he's dirty. Rugs, I mean, I just don't know what he's gonna end up looking like in the NFL. Like right now, um, I do have the ADP on them for for May and for June, which is actually pretty crazy. Uh, Rugs was going in May as the wide receiver thirty three. In June, the wide receiver thirty seven. Um, he went from the seven three in May, and super. This is superflex startups, by the way. Uh, if people are wondering. To the 8:07 in June, where Brian Edwards, who I do think has a more polished game, does fit more with whatever quarterback is going to do, but definitely what with Marcus Mariota brings to the table is what I think is Brian Edwards, and he went from 52, the wide receiver 52, to the wide receiver 56. You can get him in the 11:01 to now. You can uh, in June he went to the 12:05. So like a four round difference between those two wide receivers in in Vegas, like give me Edwards all day, give me Edwards all day, man. And like for um for a little bit of contrast, if you did want Mike Williams, he's he's actually da- smack dab right in the middle of them at the ten six. Uh, for for their June ADPs and, and Dynasty Superflex, but so like yeah. So if you if you yeah, ignore if you ignore the rugs hype, you could go after Williams, uh, Mike Williams and, and Brian Edwards combination on your roster. Yes. So yeah, I, mean, absolutely. I would absolutely skip out on rugs for that type of probable combination that you could get. Absolutely. And then you pepper it in with a couple, um, a couple bridge gap, uh, veterans like, uh, like, like your Julian Edelman's like our boy who Will Harris likes, or, um, my by Marvin Jones Jr. As, as stopgap guys, right. For the year. And, and you wait for these guys to, to, to take, take over the role. But, um, yeah, so, so far there's been minimal friction between us and I like it because, you know, we're going to be throwing jabs when we get to the quarterbacks, at least one particular, um, but we'll save that for, you know, the final knockout round. Um, let's keep it moving, and uh, we're going to go over the tight ends. And I'll, I'll let you take the lead on that one because everybody already knows who my tight end number one is all day, every day. So so let's see. Let's hear, let's hear who you got. 
Well, I think, yeah, the tight end one is pretty easy in this division. It's Travis Kelsey, and you literally look, you flip a coin between Kelsey or Kittle for number one and number two tight end in the NFL, and no, but you cannot tell me. I am an Eagles fan, and I'm not even saying Ertz is up there with them. I'm sorry. I'm just not. So at the end of the day, it's it's going to Kelsey. He's the top tight end in the league arguably and he like he's top five in every category at the tight end position number two in snapshot number one in targets number two in target rate he's in a high octane offense that can use the underneath just as effective as the over the as over the top they got they got and then you introduce Clyde Edwards Alaire you literally cannot double team someone when Kansas City is on the field because there's just so many crazy weapons that are going to be out there at one time and so much speed so much just so many players who bring such different elements to the game and and then Patty Mahomes so obviously you just this Kansas City offense is going to be crazy and I would not worry about too many mouths to feed in KC because Patty Mahomes would be happy to feed every last mouth that he has on that field um number two for me uh, is Denver. I am a big Noah Fant fan. Um, I have liked Noah Fant for quite a while. He's a 95th percentile athlete or better across the board. His current comparable on player profiler is actually George Kittle. Um, he actually ranked in the bottom third of the league among tight ends in snap share and target rate, 23rd and 21st respectively. Um, but he did was number two in yards per reception and number seven in yards after the catch which for me, I put equals dollar signs because yards after the catch uh, at the tight end position, as we've seen year over year, is what leads to an emergence at the tight end position. Let's look at, i.e., Darren Waller. He was a monster yards after the catch guy, and it was vitally important to his outbreak as a top tight end this season. Um, As we know, tight ends do take longer to emerge, generally a two- to four-year window, and Fant will be 23 when the season starts, and he's continuing to build at actually a really nice rapport with Drew Locke underneath, and he proved, and he's proven that he can do some things after the catch for him and can help Drew Locke out. Even if he has to choose it as a dump off of five yards, he can probably turn that into 12 or 15 yards for them. Um, and then tag in a guy like Melvin Gordon, Phil Lindsay, then you got Corlin Sutton, KJ Hamler, Jerry Judy. There's a lot of weapons. There's a lot of mouths to feed, but there's a lot of people to keep your eye on. So Noah Fant definitely could emerge. Maybe not even this year, but maybe next year. Give him to year three, and you will likely see him emerge. I wouldn't be surprised if he was the emerging tight end next season. Um, but I do expect him to have an improved season over last season this year. So I think the middle of the field, I put for this, the middle of the field equals Noah's territory. Because that's where Noah Fant is going to feast. That's where Noah Fant's going to do his work. And he will leave the underneath for Malvin Gordon and Philip Lindsay and the outside to Sutton and Judy. And the middle will be all Noah Fant every day. Um, number three for me is going to be Oakland. Listen, Waller's one-year breakout. The man's 28 years old. He got another contract. I'm just not a big Waller fan. And I think Witten threatens a lot of the red zone touches. I know that a lot of people say, oh, Witten's just, they're just kind of bringing Witten in or whatever. I'm not prepared to believe that Witten's just there as a distraction like Rob Gronkowski. I think Witten is actually, and he proved to be a viable red zone threat in Dallas. And I wouldn't be surprised if he became a viable red zone threat in Oakland since it's the great unknown. We just don't know who's there and what there is there. Um, 
he does have the yards after the catch and the yards per reception and yards per target, which equals dollar signs. They'd equal dollar signs for fan still equals dollar signs for me, but I just don't think Darren Waller repeats. Um, there's going to be a lot of competition that's going to take away. Um, when you look at rugs, Edwards, Renfro, Josh Jacobs, potentially becoming more involved in the passing game, Lynn Bowden, um, the wide receivers have become a threat. Uh, where they were essentially non-existent last year for fantasy. You had Terrell Williams, who came in, got his four touchdowns in four games, and then disappeared because of his turf toe uh, ankle situation. Renfro had a mini-emergence there at the end of the season, but ultimately they ranked 29th in fantasy points per game at the posi- at the wide receiver position. Um, tight end 5 ADP for uh, for Darren Waller is way too rich for me. I think it's too rich when you think about the tight end position and the tight ends that continue to emerge year over year. Just not prepared to buy that rich. Um, the Raiders literally have only va- are only vacating 13% of targets and 7% of their air yards. So there's not a whole lot to spread to these new wide receivers without taking away from potentially a Darren Waller. But Waller is a yak threat. He's always he can always create for himself, which is a massive threat. So you just never know what he might be able to continue to bring to the table. But I'm not prepared to pay the price that he has on him and the age on him and the constantly emerging tight ends at that position and where you can get some of them later from an ADP perspective. I'm just passing on Darren Waller. Um, Number four for me is the L.A. Chargers. It's Hunter Henry. He struggled with injuries over the last couple seasons and being able to play 16 games. Um, the last time the Chargers had a tight end or tight ends combined for over 1,000 yards was 2016. And Hunter Henry has essentially taken over the job over the last two seasons. Um, the tight ends are targeted less, were targeted less than 20% of the time and ranked bottom third of the league in fantasy points over the two seasons that Hunter Henry has been the tight end one. Um, he has the potential... He has potential fringe top 10 there um or he was top 10 in all tight end categories but the volume and the health just aren't on his side to get him to where he has to be and to get him to where some people are drafting him at i do have him in a couple leagues just because it landed that way and i like the spot but i i mean he's a fringe top 10 guy or border and just squeaking in eight nine and that's the best you're going to get out of hunter henry always going to be that way and he's playing on a tag this year so we don't know what the future might hold for him as well so that's my tight ends yeah i have a little bit different um obviously i have casey as number one uh it's kelsey he's been he's been the tight end one for the last four years i don't see that really changing in this division i do see george kittle eventually taking that mantle but uh, like Dynasty is my tight end too, uh, obviously because I look at that three-year window and I definitely think George Kittle over the next three years is going to score more points than Kelsey. But again, like year one, uh, 2020 vacuum, and definitely for this division, it's Kelsey. He is my he is my tight end one. As a positional group, I have the Las Vegas Raiders at number two. Um, like you did touch upon, Jason Witten is been brought in. Uh, I do agree with you. I don't think Jason Witten is being brought in as the Rob Gronkowski role. As we both agree, Rob Gronkowski, I think, is more of a distraction and than an actual go up and get the ball at this point, especially with the weapons they have. But Jason Witten, and as you touched on it, the great unknown, I do think he is there for a couple of red zone looks. 
but I do still like Darren Waller not to repeat as what he did because he was a, not a problem. Um, he wasn't a product. I think of real, and this isn't really a knock on him the way I'm going to say this, but I don't think it was a product of his exceptional talent. I think it was a product of nothing else, nothing else around him. And mm-hmm. I don't really think that that's, that's really changed. Um, I do like, I have touched upon love Brian Edwards, but, I don't know what is going to end up happening with his chemistry with Derek Carr in the first five weeks before he ends up going um, to lose his job. <laughs> but um, yeah, I'm getting those jabs in. Um, take him, but, take him. I'm, I'm ready when we but, go to the quarterback position. <laughs> but uh, I do like Darren Waller to at least. Uh, continue to do what he does while they have that learning curve. Because again, I've talked about COVID-19 and these rookies not coming in and stepping in. So while it is Derek Carr for the, at least the first five weeks before their bye week, um, he has a chemistry with Darren Waller. They know each other. He is going to look to him when Derek Carr is scrambling for his job and he knows that short rope is on a leash. Um, he's going to go to the guy that he trusts. That's Darren Waller. Uh, the other guy that he actually does trust, and the reason why they are number two again, is because of the as a group. I like Foster Moreau. Um, he doesn't get a lot of talk. He's not that bad of a, not that bad of a prospect. He definitely could fill in um, if a Darren Waller did go down. Um, but like I don't know, man. Like I just said, like I'm just I'm I'm really interested to see what the Raiders are really going to do this year because like I said I don't I don't think Derek Carr has a long leash and uh that's that's just me I have but like I said as a positional group I am at two um as a positional group I have uh the LA Chargers at three and it is because I do see a little bit of a learning curve with a tight end position I do like Noah Fant I'm sorry to have Denver as a group as four because I do like Noah Fant and I do like um, what we've dubbed him as as uh, AOK. He's AOK with me, man. Alberto, uh, I like him as as a as a tight end. But there is a learning curve with a tight end um, with a tight end position. Uh, I do think KJ Hamler is going to eat into a little bit of Noah Fant's work where he said the middle of the field is Noah Fant. I really disagree with that a little bit. I do think the middle of the field is going to be um, KJ Hamler. I do think they might go to a little bit more three wide sets, a little bit more um, LA Rams success, uh, successful style when the, when LA, when LA was uh, really putting the, putting the league on their heels there. I think if they're smart, they're going to put, put Sutton Hamler, put Sutton Hamler and Judy out in three wide sets and, and try to replicate that, the LA Rams uh, death, death trio there. Um, but I do have, I do have LA at three because there is a learning curve, like I said, and Hunter Henry has seen that learning curve. Yes. I know he has had some injuries. Um, a couple people that I do really respect still see him not as a veteran because of those injuries. Um, but I do think even, even though, he has had some setbacks. He's still been absorbing uh, NFL lifestyle. Um, he knows how to get ready. Uh, and if there, it, it doesn't matter who it is. If it's Tyrod Taylor there, or if it's Justin Herbert and the rookie, right, rookie quarterback, they're gonna, I think, lean a little bit more on on the uh, on the tight end, either one of them. Um, 
that, that's just that's just my thoughts. And then, like I said, number four for me, and I hate to say it because like I do like I do like Noah Fant and the Hawkinson Fant. Um, I I think I think Fant's a little better, but um, there is a learning curve there. There's a lot of weapons there. And uh, he does have a capable tight end behind him and a rookie, but again, like uh, there is a learning curve there. So maybe 2021, I'd be really looking for Fant. Um, I'd look to see a price decrease this year when uh, he doesn't live up to expectations, I think, and then, then maybe maybe grab him then. But like I, I said, I, I have him at four. Um, so far, we've we've every position group we're going a little bit. Less and less. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the tight ends, you can really go any direction. I, I actually find the tight ends very talented in this division, but it's just a matter of looking at the way, you know, the way free agency shook out and the way the draft shook out. And suddenly these tight ends, like a Noah Fant and a Darren Waller, who look like they were going to be t- like tops on their teams from receiving perspectives, suddenly there's a lot of threats to that potential. Oh. So I mean, we can look. It really it could go any way. You could flip this, these one, two, three, four upside down and all around, and you could be correct in any way that you can't want to put these tight ends because I oh, do think too- they all have tight tight end like top ten tight end potential. But it's all about the opportunity, and the opportunity kinda is sliding for some of these guys. Absolutely, and uh, that's why I made kind of an emphasis to say group. Because like I, I do think they are all talented. I do think Darren Waller is is talented. I do think Hunter Henry is talented. I do think Hunter or, uh, Noah Fant is talented, but they are all too expensive for me. Um, if I'm not hitting Kittle, Kelsey, um, really Andrews, uh, I'm waiting because in their ADPs they are Darren Waller was the six, Hunter Henry was a seven, Noah Fant was the eight. And those those respectively were the 801, the the 809, and the 91. Like they're 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 bunched pretty close. Um, mm-hmm. And I'd rather just wait. At, at that point, I'm not looking at tight ends in the eight. Uh, Kelsey Kelsey's going around the, between the 205, 208. That that I'm fine with. I get it. Mm-hmm. I I totally get it. Um, but like I said, in in the eight, in the beginning of the eight to the top of the nine, I'm not looking to to hammer a tight end there i'd rather just wait and, and take my swings at the irv smiths at the johnny smiths um just just the later just the later that you even the ian thomas's right just just a little bit later um that that's just me so well like, exactly and additional I, I, groups they eat each other though i i yeah i can actually agree with that like if you if you can wait down the road and there's an irv smith and a jonu smith going three four rounds or whatever later I mean, it's definitely worth just skipping over these guys and moving on because there's a lot of question marks around this these teams. And outside of KC, there's a lot of question marks with these teams, opportunity, who's going to get what, and what type of role some of these guys are going to carve out in their offense. I mean, like you said, it could easily go either way between no fan KJ Hamler to who owns the middle of that field and who commands the middle of the field attention when the outside attention is going off to – uh, Jerry Judy and Corlin Sutton. So, I mean, there's just so it many question marks. Exactly. It could be a week to week thing. It could be more like take Noah Fan as a best ball tight end or take KJ Hamler as a best ball wide receiver. And But maybe they're not someone you really want to roster because of the, the um, because of how that potential 
you know, volatility that they carry with them week over week. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So we've covered the running backs, covered the wide receivers. We've touched on the king of tight ends, Travis Kelsey. I've been throwing jabs in through rounds one through three. Coming up on the championship round now. You don't look like uh, any of those jabs have really, really, really worked on you. Actually, uh, look like you're Dredder Tatum ready in the corner, <laughs> ready to come out and start swinging. So uh, let, let's hit those quarterbacks, and uh, I'll start the backpedal here, man, and 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 let you let you attack them, let you attack them. How you got those quarterbacks ranked, buddy? So number one, no brainer once again, Kansas City. Like like I said earlier, Mister One Hundred One. This is your must-own quarterback. I know there's going to be some Lamar Jackson truthers and people out there who will be upset with this. But I do honestly believe Patrick Mahomes is the best quarterback in the NFL and is the best quarterback to have from a fantasy perspective as well. I mean, I love Carson Wentz, but damn, Patty Mahomes would look good in some midnight green. Um, He's a QB1, and I basically put it's non-negotiable. Uh, he was a QB eight after missing two games this year, and he likely played many of those games still injured and not 100%. And he's one year removed from a QB one season and he gets his high octane offense with a fully healthy Tyreek Hill with Travis Kelsey and with a new shiny toy in Clyde Edwards Hilaire. And like I said, above, uh, Miko Hardman, use him more. Trust me, it will play pay a ton of dividends for Patty Mahomes. And then you have Andy Reid, Big Red is your head coach, who somehow unlocks the deepest, darkest potential of literally every player. Um, so he, without further going on here, Patty Mahomes is the uh, Mr. 101 and the number one quarterback in this division. Number two is where it gets fun. Because I got the Oakland Raiders, and I don't have it for Marcus Mariota like you want it to be, but I have it for Derek Carr because, and I kind of I tweeted it out earlier this week. I do believe Derek Carr is one of the most underrated quarterbacks in the league. You guys made fun of me on Twitter. I, I took the flack <laughs> earlier on Twitter for the fact that he's a checkdown guy and all this and all that. Listen. You can live and die off of checkdowns. If you have the right weapons, they're going to make Derek Carr look like a stud, and Marcus Mariota will never touch that damn field. And I think that they built the offense around Derek Carr, and Derek, they get, did, get, in fact, give Derek Carr those weapons that he needs. And he's a very smart, he's a very calculated quarterback. So listen, from a fantasy perspective, he may not be the sexiest option, but he has proven he can get there. In 20, I think, what was it, 15 or 2016, he was a top 10 fantasy quarterback with two 1,000-yard receivers in Amari Cooper and Michael Crabtree. Then we had a couple years of disappointment. There was a falling out with Amari Cooper and Derek Carr and the changing coaches and all this. Over the last few years, Derek Carr has been through a lot from that perspective. Um, he's had some subpar offensive weapons over the last couple years. And like we've said, he lives, uh, I think he ranked in the yards, yards in the air, yards after the catch. I think he ranked 32nd in uh, quarterbacks who threw over 175 passes. And it was like 48% in air to 52% on the grand, it, yards after the catch. So yes, he is that type of quarterback. But no, it's not necessarily a bad thing. Let's look at Tom Brady and what he did with Julian Edelman and what he's done with the yards after the catch. It's not necessarily a bad thing. 
Uh, he And are we just going to ignore the fact that he just had a season with the highest completion percentage in NFL history topping Peyton Manning? He's a safe quarterback. I get it. But look at the weapons that he did it with. Terrell Williams, Hunter Renfro, Darren Waller. These people are not people you would assume you would get a ton of completion percentages or completed passes to. Um, he's usually your QB 15 to 20. Is he a number one quarterback? Is he a top 10 quarterback? I think he can be a top 10 quarterback. And I think my hot take, you want a hot take, the Michael Thomas versus Tyreek Hill takes got nothing on this because I think Derek Carr is going to be a top 10 quarterback this year in fantasy again. And I mean, I, I think it's very possible. And if not, he is a very viable QB too. He's a good quarterback to have on your roster because he's going to be there and he's going to have every chance to keep that job. I, I can guarantee he will because I don't think that they picked Marcus Mariota up with the intention of just handing him the job or giving him the keys to the car. So definitely um, I'm on board for Derek Carr. I do think he's underappreciated. I do think he's underrated. There are a lot of Raiders fans who hate him. There are a lot of Raiders fans who love him. It's a very split topic, and that's why I know that you're going to come at me as soon as I'm done counting down my quarterbacks on this. Um, but the Raiders were, uh, their wide receivers were 29th as far as fantasy points go. They were top five in the tight end department, top 10 in the running back department. So there is loads, loads, loads of opportunity for Derek Carr and for those wide receivers next season. And I think that he's definitely going to take advantage. And he's definitely going to re-enter the top 10 quarterbacks for fantasy. Um, number three for me is Denver. And, I mean, we and you kind of talked about it a bit before the show. I mean, he has all the weapons, but can he really make it work? He finishes a QB 30 in average because he joined, came in halfway through the season. So he finished QB 30 in average. So he was way, way, way down at the bottom of the league with a 14.2 points per game, um, QB 37 on the year. So, I mean, his average wasn't even that sexy from, from that perspective and from that stance at all. And, like, if you look at, like, his advanced metrics, which I love to look at advanced metrics when I'm looking at drafting a quarterback, they're not that good. They're not that great. They don't stand out. Nothing stands out to me for for Drew Locke, given the weapons that he had last year. And now that he's got even more weapons, now we really got to see what Noah, what he uh, what he has. Um, his accuracy, Raiden ranked 47th among all quarterbacks, while his receiver target separation was number three. That is something that was concerning to me. You have your targets able to separate by that much to the point that they were, have the number three target separation among all quarterbacks, and your accuracy rating is 47th. I do have some areas of concern for him, and I would like to see what he does with the weapons, but based on the ADP and the price that he's starting to go for and the hype that's building around him, I think for now I'm just going to back out of uh, Drew Locke and see what he's going to do, and I would be happy to see him do well, and I would be happy to sit there and say, well, I told you so. Um the LA Chargers are there at number four for me because it's a bit, it's a giant question mark. Just like the everything we've gone through at the positions, it's just a giant question mark. Is it going to be Tyrod Taylor, which I think it will be at least for the first half of the season, or is it going to be Justin Herbert? Or like you kind of said, are they going to tank and try again at the quarterback position? It's going to be interesting to see what they do or tank and try and just get a really good player. Um, but I think the L.A. Chargers have actually been one of the most unlucky teams in the past couple of years in regards to injuries and just luck. 
And I think if you look at it, they have the most torn ACLs over the last five years. And they also have the most like one score losses. So they're one of those teams who just can't seem to figure out how to win those close games and just get freakishly bad luck on the injury side of the ball. Um, So I think whether it's Taylor or whether it's Herbert, both would make the offenses look really different. So it's so hard to predict. Like, I don't think I would not like, I don't think I'd love Tyrod Taylor as a fantasy option, but I think I could warm up to the idea of a Justin Herbert and a guy who's going to throw the ball a lot. And as a target, like Mike Williams, Keenan Allen and Hunter Henry going downfield for him. I think I could get behind a Herbert, but I don't think I can get behind a Tyrod Taylor necessarily unless his ADP is nicely depressed, which it kind of is. Um, So, I mean, you could grab him there and see what they do in L.A. And if he starts out hot, you never know. You could kind of get a good deal on a trade for him. But I think the Chargers are staying there because they're the great unknown of the quarterback position for me in this division. Uh, so that's how I got my quarterback. So fire away. Okay, so before we get into this, I have the 2020 season up here. Uh, I just want to ask you, I'm just going to go through it, and I just want to ask you win or loss. Okay, Las Vegas Raiders. Oh, they, open up, yes. they open up against the Panthers. Let's, let's be sure to point this well, out. I just, that... I just, I just want to ask you: Are they winning or losing these games? They play five games before the bye week. Win or loss, okay. they play the Panthers. They're on the road. That I give that a win. I'm low okay, on the I Panthers, so I'm extremely depressed on the Panthers. I think they're tanking the for loss. Trevor. They play the, they play the, the New Orleans. Drew Brees led New Orleans Saints at home. What do you have, Matt? That that's a loss for me. That, that's a, me easily a loss. Now they're going to the Cam Newton led New England Patriots in Foxborough. Win or loss? I'm gonna say a loss, but you know what? That 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 can that could end up being a coin flip. It depends. No, what ha- like absolutely. what happens? What happens with the wide receivers? What if they do start to emerge? That I don't know if that Patriots defense is necessarily what they were last year. The historic defense that they were last year. They lost some key pieces and stuff. And I'm not as high on Cam Newton as some people are. And I know we're gonna talk AFC East in a few weeks or next week or a couple weeks, whenever. We only have three more divisions to go. But I'm not that high on Cam. Newton I don't I'm not expecting this 2015 return to form Cam Newton here I think it could be a coin flip but for now on paper definitely I'm going loss well I don't like how you said 2015 Cam Newton because he was very good um in the eight games that he was healthy um looked actually fucking phenomenal I had him penciled in for a loss with Stidham just just for a record but I definitely I inked him in with a loss with Newton um then they play the Bills (laughs) uh then they (laughs) then they come back home like in their wounds so far off of two straight losses uh consensus by me and you uh to play the buffalo bills win or loss i gotta give a loss man that bills team i love that Bills team just saying so so far me and you have them for sure three losses in a row out of four out out of four right now i have them on four you have them one and three then they go to Arrowhead 
to play the defending Super Bowl champion Kansas City Chiefs, who were coming off of a 6-0 and division record last year. They've been stomping the West. I inked them in for a loss there. I have them 0-5 headed into their bye week. I see no fucking chance that coming out of their bye week, they're not trying Marcus Mariota. You have them probably 1-4. Even the one win against the Panthers. I do have them one and four. Now, I, you know what? I actually think the front end of their schedule is a sl- slightly bit more difficult. They do. I do think they actually have one of the harder strength of schedules this season. So, I mean, but I'm not going to allude to that as, a, as an excuse or as a reasoning. But you do have to remember when half of your offense is coming in as, as rookies or a lot of your offensive weapons are coming in as rookies. And we've alluded to COVID-19. I think that leash becomes a little bit longer for a lot of people who may have short leashes. COVID-19 really changes the entire landscape and situation for some of these people. You're not just going to say, all right, Derek Carr, you have five weeks Oh, and by the way, you have probably yeah. three of the toughest games on our schedule to win this. Marcus Mariota goes out there, they're one and four. I predict one and four. Mariota out there for five games or Derek Carr out there for five games. And if you put Mariota well, out there and you're telling me that he's going me any better it, than one and four, then I'm sorry. But yeah, well, I have Derek Carr going five. So, so, the, so the one and four would actually be a one game improvement if I pencil him in for a win against the Panthers with, uh, with thing. But that's that's beside the point. Um, like before I get into this. Why, like, why I just brought that up is because you have them one and four. I have them all in five. Then they're going on the bye week. We have discussed off air um, how Derek Carr's contract is actually going to be discountable going forward, considering the massive contracts that are being signed by the Russell Wilsons, by the Pat Mahomes, by the Deshaun Watsons. His contract will look not bad. But Derek Carr is neither Mark. Or is neither John Gruden nor Mike Mayock's selection. Mike Mayock did like Marcus Mariota coming out. Marcus Mariota has had five offensive coordinators in five years trying to shove a round peg into a square hole. None of them have used him as, as a rushing ability. Where I do think Gruden is going to use Marcus Mariota's rushing ability. I think that is why they actually did bring him in. Um they have $2.5 million in dead cap in 2021 if they decided to cut Derek Carr and free up almost $20 million in in uh, in salary. They have zero dead cap if they were to cut Marcus Mariota. And if they were to keep him, it's, it's very cheap. So by the fact of week seven when they're coming back, um, I see no reason why that uh, that game, and it's a home game against Tampa Bay, why that's not Marcus Mariota under center week seven. That That's my point on why I bring up. And I'm not saying they don't have a, a, a very front-end loaded schedule because they do. They do have a very front-end loaded schedule. Like the, I'm looking at the end of their schedule, and it's like the Jets, the Colts, the Chargers, the Dolphins, the Broncos. Like It's it's very um, – very, I mean, It's very, very front-loaded, and it, it's still yeah. – overall strength of schedule is still – like I'm pretty sure they're in the top ten in the leagues for hardest schedule this year, so – Absolutely. But I mean, no, and is I, that, is I, that an excuse? I'm sorry, no, but that, that's not like, that's not, I didn't listen, man, like gripe to whoever writes the fucking schedule, Derek Carp, but like they fucked you like plain and simple, man. Like, but I'm listen, sorry, but like at the coming end of the day, you, 
Listen, you, you you talked about Derek Carr and you talked about that contract and we talked the contrast of the contract with the contracts that are coming out now. There's no way they cut him. Someone is taking that contract on. Somebody is taking Derek Carr. No, every it's, t- it's, every it's, time it's, every time rumors emerge, every time rumors emerge about Derek Carr, there is a lineup of teams ready to take Derek Carr from the Raiders. They are prepared to make trade offers, and I think that they're prepared to listen, but they don't know the worth of Derek Carr right now because Derek Carr could be be worth a lot. Derek Carr could be worth a little. I'm on the lot side. You're on the side who would literally cut him. I just say cut, whatever. I'm just saying they could save $20 if they did cut him. But, yeah, obviously they would. They would prop. They would fucking trade him, obviously. But um, they're not paying him fucking twenty million to sit on the bench. I'll tell you that. I'll tell you that right now. Like they will, they will get rid. They will cut. They will not cut him. They will trade him. They will not let him be the backup. That's not backup money. Not at all. Unless you're They'll Nick have Foles. To restructure. If he if he wants to what? Unless you're Nick Foles. <laughs> yeah, well, you know he's won some division games and. Hoist the Lombardi <laughs> in his life. <laughs> true, true. But uh, yeah, so like that—that's that's my argument before before we get into him. Obviously, in the QBs, I have uh, Mister, as you said to it, one on one. It's Pat Mahomes. He is uh, he's represented by Mister One on One, Lee Steinberg, and the Lee Steinberg agencies, and they actually happily represent Tua Tonga Vailoa. Um, one on one, Lee Steinberg. He is his claim to fame was actually a lot, but. He has put more people on the podium at the one-on-one position than I believe any other sports agent or sports agency. But uh, number two, I have I have it as Drew Locke, and I have Drew Locke. Um, yeah, you looked at his metrics and you said you know the 47% completion rating with a third with the third highest separation in the league. But um, he was a he was a rookie. He was a rookie that was uh, pretty much thrust in there after they realized they fucked up with Joe Flacco. Had no right ever being in there. Um, Drew Locke is coming off as the quarterback 20, 509 in Superflex drafts. Uh, he was 4-1. and one. His only loss was to the Super Bowl champion Kansas City Chiefs. He played three division games in that five-game stretch, and it was division game, and then a pretty damn hard opponent, I believe it was Houston, then it was a division game, and then another pretty damn hard opponent, I think it was Baltimore, and then a division game. He beat those division opponents, and I believe week 17, he beat my quarterback three in this division, and that was Derek Carr in the Raiders. Drew Locke has it. Everyone wants to be high on Dak Prescott because he's shown what he can do, obviously, but the weapons. It's mainly the weapons for Dak Prescott. I've seen this huge bump once he got C.D. Lamb and the weapons. Well, I don't really see that big of a difference between the weapon skill set in the wide receiver room potential in Denver. That could happen. Uh, it's like a, it's like a, I, I like to use the version, like like a Walmart version of something when, it, when it's like the discounted version. Of, and I think Drew Locke is the discount Dak. Right, I think he is the Walmart Dak, so that's why I have Drew at two. Like I said, he is good. Like, yeah, his, his numbers, um, if you're looking at the advanced analytics, are really good. Like, like you said, they're 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 mediocre. But again, like I said, he was he was a rookie, but he's a winner. He was four and one as a starter. 
like I said, uh, they don't they don't they don't shy away from that. Uh, the the team loves him. Uh, number three to me is Derek Carr. Um, we we already went over it. Uh, I am at 0-5 going into the bye week. You have him at 104. Uh, you tried to say that the, the leash is going to be a little longer with COVID. Uh, yeah, I think it is a little longer too. Yeah, two games longer because I think he would have been 0-3 gone. See you later. But uh, I think it's going to be 0-5 to the bye week. They're going to regroup and like don't like like I said, don't get it twisted, man. Like he wasn't. He's neither one of those guys. Guy. He was not drafted or traded for by either one of those guys. There's been public uh, blowups or I guess they try to hide it on the rug between Gruden and Carr. Like there is like serious questioning on is Gruden even going to get rid of this guy? And it's not like Gruden is, uh, is uh, not one to pull this wild card out. Right. Like, I mean, God damn it. Like you, you, tra- you traded away like the best defensive player playing the game and Cleo Mack for, uh, I, I didn't, Thank you. I'm happy. You don't get me wrong. As a Kansas City fan, God bless you. God bless you. Because like, man, I feared Mac. As a and guy Amari, that I and he pretty- traded away Amari Cooper too. Like, I mean, listen, I get Coop's volatile yeah. and stuff, but I mean, he was probably one of Ten. the best wide receivers in Oakland slash Vegas in the last like what ten years. So yeah. Pro- Absolutely. Um, he's great. He's a great, and I always say about Cooper is he's a great real life football player. He knows the nuances. He makes other players around him better. I believe Cooper had a falling out with Derek Carr. Um, I also don't think he didn't like the fact that uh, Crabtree, I think, was uh, getting the TDs. But uh, again, that's just like. Well, I think in the the like, yeah, I had the, I had this ar- argument with a Raiders fan once that was like, how is a wide receiver like if you go back and you look at Amari Cooper's time in Vegas slash Oakland and you look at his targets per game he was like one week he'd be nine targets one week he'd be two one week he'd be four one week he'd be 11 one week how do you get consistency as a wide receiver if one week you go you get nine targets you catch six you're feeling good about yourself the next week you go out there and you get thrown to twice and then the next yeah. week you go out there and you get thrown to four times. And then you get thrown to seven or eight times the next game. You catch six balls. You're on top of the world. And then they go back down again. Like, how do you honestly look at him in Dallas? Yes, he's still volatile, but he's getting the targets. And when he's getting the targets, he's feeling good. He's feeling confident. He, I mean, Cooper's a great player. He's a great route runner. If you want, like you said, he knows the nuances of the game. He runs some killer routes, which means he demands attention which means a guy like Michael Gallup or a guy like C.D. Lamb may end up getting more targets than expected because you got Amari Cooper with a safety over him and a cornerback on him because he runs this wicked route, this wicked curling out route or something that just completely screws up the defense. So... Like you're, de- he's demanding attention and stuff. So I agree with you. He understands the nuances of the game, and he understands that you know what, maybe he's still in Dallas. He still gets seven or eight targets a game, but he may not get all the targets that he wants. Sometimes in Oakland, he should have got all the targets. It was him or it was Crabtree, and Cooper's better than Crabtree 
in my eyes. So, I mean, at the end of the day, how hard can it be to be a consistent receiver for a quarterback and for an offensive coordinator and for a head coach when you're fluctuating like this? You talk about volatility and fantasy. Talk about volatility from the perspective of, of just trying to be a good receiver. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So like like I was touching on, like I, I do have I do have the Las Vegas Raiders still at three. And uh, like I said, that's because I have them all on five coming off the bye. But then I have them. Um, let's see what I do have them going after I have Carr going in there. It's not really actually that much better, to be honest with you. Like I only have the Vegas Raiders at six and ten uh, to go. So, I mean, like he splits it. I'm splitting it with Mariota, but um, the problem with the Las Vegas Raiders and the problem with the Los Angeles Chargers, which is why I have the Chargers at four, is interdivision play. Um, when I was looking up some stats for for this podcast and and the other podcast that I, I was doing with the AFC West, um, a couple things that stood out to me about the 2019 season for for one, what Kansas City was crazy was. Uh, yeah, they were twelve and four, but they were seven and one on the road, which was which was unbelievable to me. And with five and three at home and six and zero oh in division, they owned that division. It was even more heartbreaking and interesting to find with me was uh, the Raiders when they lost, they lost huge. With six and nine of the, six out of nine of their losses last year were by eighteen or more points. That is crazy. That is crazy. They had a, a one-point uh, loss against the Drew Luck Denver Broncos in Week 17. Um, if it wasn't for the Chargers, and like I mean, the Chargers, they they were absolutely they were absolutely terrible. They were they were 0-6 in division play last year. Um, just how are you ever gonna ever think about going forward when you can't even get a win in your division? Um, that's that's again why why I have them at four. Um, we we've kind of touched upon it all episode about Tyrod and how I think he's kind of like the uh, I said I said Drew is the discount Dak and I kind of said like um, Tyrod's kind of like the Walmart Alex Smith like the discount Alex Smith. Um, I don't really think he's going to lose too many games for you, but I don't think he's going to put you in any positions to really win any games either, right? Like it's going to be done with your special teams or, or your, <clears throat> or your defense. And for some reason, I don't know what it is with the LA chargers, but, um, they just look to be like a team that is, is, um, ultimately heartbroken, uh, year after year where they, they lose, uh, they lose a lot of games by, uh, three or less points. I believe five of their losses last year were by three or less. Mm-hmm. Um, and they have, like no luck in their division, so uh, it's a pretty scary division too. When you when you look on the defensive side of the ball, like KC has uh, has some burners now in the back end, and they have some big boys that can get at you. Uh, Dem- Denver has some has some pretty scary hitters there. With I mean, I know he's getting up there, but even you got you got to respect still Von Miller. Mm-hmm. Um, the Raiders, Sons. Son's back. I'm I'm loving them, but even still, they they have they have some guys going at them. Um, Max Crosby actually is a guy that I really really like a lot. Um, I'm not mm-hmm. really too big on IDP. Uh, I I actually got to pick a couple of my buddies 
brains on, on the IDP side about it, but like Max Crosby was a guy that really stood out to me watching, uh, specifically paying attention to a lot of AFC West games. Um, and then, so you know what I mean? So like, even if it's Justin Herbert coming in as a rookie, which I, I do think at some point in the year he will, I do think Tyrod Taylor is for people that don't think Tyrod Taylor is going to play. I think you're very naive. I think mm-hmm. he's definitely going to get some run in the beginning. I think Tyrod Taylor is the type of guy where um, in a super flex league, if you had a Tua and you couldn't grab fits to to kind of lock that position up throughout the year as they transition, because I'm not 100% sure Tua is going to start. God bless if he does, but I really don't know. Tyrod seems like the perfect kind of gap. Just hopefully that gap and seamlessly, like, you know what I mean? Tyrod, say, if he's the quarterback till week five, hopefully, like, you know, that's when Tua ends up stepping in, right? Like, you know what I mean? Uh, they, I think they actually they have a late by week, week 10. Mm-hmm. Um, but like I said, whatever it is, I hope, hopefully it's seamless. But like, Ty, Tyrod seems like, like that type of type of transition quarterback, especially for, for a super flex league. Um, but yeah, either way, like they're four, like it's, it's, they don't win division play. I don't really see that changing. Um, uh, you either have a rookie quarterback or a quarterback that's never going to put a team on his back. Uh, and you're going to have to win in other ways. And, uh, you have a mean defenses in that division. So I don't see them going ahead of even if Derek Carr has his job. And uh, speak, speaking of that, actually, I did make a friendly bet with, with somebody there. And uh, it, it is uh, that I think at some point in 2020, um, the end of the 2020 season, Derek Carr will not be the starting quarterback for the Las Vegas Raiders. It will be Marcus Mariota. Um, and winner, the loser will have to donate $40 to the winner's charity of choice. I'm looking forward to that. Even even if I lose them, that, that's a bet I don't really mind losing. I uh, mm. I know I I ragged on Derek Carr this entire this entire uh, episode. Derek, if you're listening, if you're one of the 26, God bless you, buddy. <laughs> Hopefully, <laughs> I didn't lose you. Um, <laughs> uh, no, like I know I've, I've kind of ragged on him a little bit all all uh, all episode, just kind of jabbed in him where I could, but I really do hope for the best for him. I don't really think he's that bad of a quarterback. Um, I do think his quarterback rating last year, he was 10th, I do think, or definitely top 10. I just think it's an aptitude of the Oakland Raiders situation too, um, but I don't like – I've argued with people saying um, he hasn't had weapons. He hasn't had weapons. Like, look, he had Darren Waller. Well, and, like, you brought it up. He had weapons. He had Amari Cooper. He had – like Crabtree, like Michael Crabtree, somebody like he got so fucking disrespected too, for uh for a guy that caught a lot of touchdowns, man. Like he's a red zone monster. Mm-hmm. Um, he he's had the weapons. My issue too is like once he hurt his back, you never really seen him get back to form either. Right, mm-hmm. like they just kind of like. I think the the big thing here is the clock's ticking for Gruden, and I think if he makes any type of change at the quarterback position, it is I feel like it's going to be nothing at all necessarily to do with the fact that it's Derek Carr or the oh, potential own five start or something, and it, but everything to do with the fact that I'm here for 10 years, 
I want I want to win championships. People expect me to win championships. And now well, we're entering year four and they've barely been able to limp to 500 year over year. Um, yeah. For me, that I think it has a lot to do with Gruden and protecting himself and saying, well, he wasn't my guy. And then it's more like, so you wasted four years with not your guy and now you're going to go with your guy. Like, I think it has a lot to do with he needs to do something to save him. They've spent a lot of time getting, quote unquote, their guys, Cleveland Farrell and those types of guys, when they could have got some other pieces who might have been more viable options. And at the end of the day, they've went with their guys. They've built their team. The only thing that really isn't his at this point is a quarterback. And you kind of alluded to it earlier in the episode. If the move is going to be made, there's a good chance that it probably has a lot more to do with the whole aspect of that's not my guy than how they're playing. Because I think no matter how you flip the coin, they're going to start at 1-4, and 0-5. Oh they're going to finish below 500 by the end of the year. No matter what, no matter who it is, Marcus Merida, Derek Carr, they bring someone in at the trade deadline, whatever it may be, I think that the, that ultimately ends up being the thing. They're not going to make it above 500. That That's just a team that they are. They're not meant, they're not there yet. I don't think they're at that level oh, I- to compete as a team. But they're doing the right Absolutely. things. They're building their team. They got they got really good young defense. They have some really good young offensive weapons coming in. Now it's all a matter of, all right, Derek, time to step up. And I think Derek Carr is going to step up. And he did kind of touch on the injury situation. A, guy, a good example of it, and actually it's his player profiler most comparable, Matt Stafford. He gets hurt uh, year after year. He takes hit year after year, hit after hit. Cannot get a block worth anything. And that man stands there and he will fire a ball all day, every day. And Derek Carr has to become like Matt Stafford. I know I'm probably going to get hit, but not even. He's got a good offensive line in in Vegas. Yeah, that's the difference I was just going to bring up. Derek Carr was getting hit with a good offensive line. Matt Stafford was left with uh, Swiss cheese. Swiss cheese uh, block in front of him, hoping to, hoping to, hoping to scramble. I actually, Detroit I actually did, found really it ironic that he's the the most comparable, the best comparable to Derek Carr, because well, I see it. But Derek Carr's got to start unloading. <laughs> if Derek can, if Derek Carr can start unloading the ball, damn, then yeah, he could look exactly like Matt Stafford out there. But he's like we, like I said earlier in the episode, he's a very calculated player. And that leads to maybe holding the ball too long, not wanting to throw the ball away, not wanting to throw picks, those types of things. And I think he has to learn to just process quicker and make those plays happen. And suddenly, bam, he's becoming a viable fantasy option. He's got his starting job. And Marcus Mariota is a very well-paid bench warmer. Now, it's funny you actually say that because if you swapped Matt Stafford and Derek Carr, you would get, I think Matt Stafford would fucking thrive as a Las Vegas Raider, while the uh, while the Detroit Lions would look the exact same with Derek Carr, on, maybe a little worse because of that poor offensive line and just really befuddled front office. But um, yeah. Anyway, so we've touched through them all. Now let's uh let's give let's give the let's give the listeners who are still with us. 
the overall rankings of these teams for division purposes. Connor, what's your overall score for these teams? Well, it was, as is with the entire division, always a complete blowout. Casey almost got the first official clean sweep. They they got a five because of being the number two at the running back position. They didn't get the perfect clean sweep of a score of four. Um, Denver at eight, Oakland at 12, and the Chargers at 15. So uh, stay away from the Chargers and get your hands on a lot of Kansas City shares because Patty Mahomes is going to get locked down for a monster, unbelievable contract. And every one of those weapons is going to look like they're due for a high-ass paying contract as well because Patty Mahomes is going to make them look like gold. Yeah, I actually think um, if they do something that is most beneficial for Pat Mahomes, if his camp can get the side done where it's most beneficial, it'll be a contract that Aaron Rodgers tried to get done. But it didn't end up happening where it's um, not a fixed rate. It's actually a percentage of the salary cap. I think uh, that would be the best fit for for um, Pat Mahomes. Not Kansas City, obviously, but, um, but, for, but for Pat Mahomes. I definitely think he's, he is worth it. For me, um, we, we, uh, we agreed with Casey. They have the five. They don't have the perfect sweep. Um, you alluded to it. I have them ranked at number two as the running backs, running back room as well. So, so they are the five for me. The other three are pretty close, though. Uh, I have Denver at the ten. That's mainly due because I have Drew Locke at the two spot for uh, the quarterbacks, and uh, you don't, but that's fine. And then I have the LA Chargers at twelve, which actually kind of surprised me going through it. But uh, looking back at it, because like I don't really have the Chargers ranked. Well, I have them dead last for quarterbacks. But um, I was surprised about it. But then when I'm looking back at it, it was probably because of the wide receivers that put them that little bit, little bit of a bump. And uh, where I dropped Denver down, Noah Fant, where I gave Henry the bump just just for having, just for having the uh, the time in the league. And then I, so I have the I have the Chargers at 12, and then I have the the Raiders actually right next to him at 13. 